Hey, good morning. It's uh, great to be with you. I'm Jeff Surratt, one of the teaching pastors uh, here at Front Range. I want to say hi to those of you who are watching online, and we love the online experience, but you don't get the full experience when you're online. People in the front rows, did you, did you see Addison's shoe game today? Like, that is serious shoe game. Like, it's really, really good. So, if you are online, uh, if you'll uh, uh, email info at frontrange.org, we'll try to get you a picture of Addison's shoes. Like, it, it was that, that good. Hey, man, do you like Labor Day? Anybody like Labor Day weekend? I, yeah, one person. You and me, we like it. The problem, problem with Labor Day, it's misnamed, right? Like, it should be not Labor Day, because... The part that we do like are those of us who don't have to work on, don't have to labor on Labor Day. And the people who have to labor on Labor Day don't get labor. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. But we like it. Our family, we always do Memorial Day, Labor Day. We try to do a family picnic. We have a little park that we go to. And uh, starting at Memorial Day, we started a new tradition. We started playing uh, wiffle ball, family wiffle ball. Until you've played wiffle ball with a two-year-old and a four-year-old, you have not experienced wiffle ball. It was it was fun. No one was seriously injured in the process, and it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, if this is your first time here at Front Range, uh, you know what we're about. We, we want to help you. We're here to help you build community. We're here to help you um, uh, discover your purpose. We're here to help you grow in your faith. In fact, one way to grow in your faith, if you, since the time that you started following Christ, became a Christian, if you've not been baptized in water, that is a huge next step. Really encourage you to take it. The last Sunday of this month, September 26th, we're going to have a baptism. If you've seen one of Front Range's baptisms, it's so much fun. We do it out in the courtyard. We all gather around. It's like a party. Love for you to be a part of that. If you want more information for you or a friend or maybe one of your children might want them to be baptized, if you're here in person, just stop by the blue tent outside. They can tell you more about it. In fact, insider tip, if you want to know anything about Front Range, stop by the, the, the blue tent or the green tent outside, and they, they have all the information about events and how to get connected all those kinds of things. If you're online, if you'll just go to frontrange.info, uh, there's a, a way on there to sign up for baptism. You know, I thought today as we finish up our, uh, our series on winning the, uh, the war in your mind, how about if I just tell you the dumbest thing I've ever done? That'll be a fun way to start. You'll, no matter how your week goes, you'll go, well, at least it wasn't as dumb as him, okay? So several years ago, many years ago, Sherry and I and our family, we lived on the East Coast in South Carolina. We lived uh, near the water, and we had a friend who had a house right on the intercoastal waterway, and they had a dock and a boat. And our friend uh, said, you know what, uh, if you want to, you can borrow my boat. And I said, that's awesome. And so I went over and he taught us how to, you know, how to service it and how to do all these things. And he said, okay, you can take my boat out if you want to. So a few weeks later, my dad was coming into town and I thought it'd be fun. Let's take dad out. We'll go fishing. I'll take the kids and we'll just have fun. And we did. We had a blast. We went and borrowed my friend's boat. We went out on the intercoastal. And while we were fishing, we, we got into a school of, of baby sharks. Could we all sing it together? baby shark, do, 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 do. Now, all the parents are angry with me because that is stuck. But we did. We got into the school of baby sharks. They're about this long. No sharks were uh, hurt in the process. We released all of them, but we just had a blast. So much fun. We came back, and before I returned my buddy's boat, I wanted to make sure I brought it back full of gas. And so across the waterway from where his house is is a fuel dock. So I just pulled up to the fuel dock, uh, got out, took the gas cap off, set it aside, it was self-serve, so I grabbed the gas nozzle and I went back to fill up 
uh, the gas tank with, with gas. And I didn't know how big the tank was, and I didn't know how much we had used. And so, well, you know, $10 and $20, $50, $60, I'm starting to think, that's a lot of gas. $80, $100 worth of gas, whoa, at $120. I stopped and I thought, that's a lot of gas for a boat. What could possibly have gone wrong? I think we have a picture that kind of illustrates what might have gone wrong. Next picture, please. Yeah, that's where the gas goes. And then right next to it, I don't know how well you can see it, but there's another hole. That's where, not where the gas goes. That's where I put the gas. That hole is to hold a fishing rod, and it's opened into the hull of the boat. So what I had done basically is fill the hull of the boat with gasoline. Oh, it gets worse. Way worse. So I didn't know what to do. I panicked. I, real quickly, I put gas over into the right hole. Oh, about $20. I paid my $140 worth of gas, drove away. I'm just, don't, I've never shared this in public before. Um, we're just friends, right? You won't tell anybody. I went out onto the intercoastal waterway, I opened up the bilge pumps, and I dumped all the gasoline into the water. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> to all the boat owners, to all the environmentalists, I just, all I can say is, I'm sorry. I took the boat back, tried to clean it up as much as I can, then I went home and I just waited to hear news that either every dolphin in the waterway had died or that the Isle of Palms had exploded. I literally was watching the paper every day to see what disaster I had caused. I finally had to call my buddy and say, dude, here's what happened to your He laughed so hard that he was pulling a hose down from his pool and got to laughing so hard he hit himself in the hose and cut his head open. Like that's, yeah. Just every time I think about that story, like right now I'm red, I'm embarrassed, I feel ashamed, I feel guilty, I feel stupid. Did I mention stupid? And so what I thought would kind of bring community today is right now in your section, just tell the stupidest thing you've ever done. No, we're not going to do that. But we could. Like, it's not hard for us to think about something dumb we've done or a mistake that we've made or uh, someplace where we've come up short where we feel regret or we feel guilt or we feel shame or embarrassment. Every time this thing comes to mind, maybe, maybe when you step into a new situation, this, it pops up in your head or maybe you're just sitting by yourself and all of a sudden this thing from years ago pops in and you again... You feel that embarrassment, you feel that shame, and, and it becomes kind of a track in your mind. Maybe it plays over and over again. It does in my mind. And in fact, I was able to record a little bit of what I hear, the voice I hear in my head all the time. I think we have that recording. Actually, that was my favorite singer from the 70s, Linda Ronstadt. But we know, did you pick up the message? It was a little subtle in that song, a little subtle. She said, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good. Baby, I'm going to say it again. You're no good, you're no good, you're no good. Like, you got it? 
You ever hear that? You ever hear that in your head? Like, you're, you're no good. You're, you make mistakes. You do all these things because, because we all deal with these kinds of thoughts. That's kind of the theme of this series, winning the war in your mind. Because Satan knows if he wins the war in your mind, he wins. And so he keeps like a YouTube channel of every mistake you've ever made and a video of every time you've sinned and a, a video of every time you've done something that you're ashamed of. And then, and then he plays it over and over and over again. That, that time 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when, when you embarrassed yourself in front of the whole sixth grade class. That time when you made a promise to your spouse and you broke that promise. That time you, you yelled at your kid. Remember that this morning on the way to church? Like he, and, and Satan gets videos of all that. And then his job is to make sure when you do a mental Google search that the first results come from that playlist of the, thing, the mistakes you've made, the things that you've done. And, and over time, we begin to believe what Satan is selling to us. We begin to believe his lies. We begin to believe, you know what? I mess up all the time. I'm just, I'm an idiot. I'm just an idiot. You know, I, I have tried to change. I've, I've tried to break this habit. I, I've tried to make a new start, and I've failed. And I try, and I fail, and I try to fail. You know what? I, I'm a failure. Or maybe yours is more like this. You know what? If people knew the real me, if people at work knew how incompetent I really am, if my spouse actually knew what a failure I am, they, they, they would reject me. And the lie we begin to believe is, you know what, I'm an imposter. And then there's Satan's big lie when he puts it all together. The big lie is, I am simply the sum of all my mistakes. I am, you put together every bad thing, every dumb thing, every stupid thing I've done, that's who I am. And eventually that track of you're no good, you're no good, you're no good changes and it becomes I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm not good enough. And the reality is we all deal with this at some level. Some, not a lot occasionally, and some we deal with it every single day. So how do we win this war? How do we win this particular war in our minds? It's amazing God's Word, we're just going to unpack a little, just a tiny bit of God's Word this morning because it speaks directly to this challenge. Before we dive into that scripture, would you guys pray with me? Father, I just thank you today. I thank you that, that I have this incredible opportunity to just share your Word. And Lord, today, that's all I want to do. Um, I don't need to make up things. I don't need to be clever. We just need to take a look at what you said through your servant, Paul, in the Bible and apply it to our own lives. Lord, I pray that we will have ears to hear what you're saying. Lord, I ask it in your name. Amen. So how do we win this war, this war dealing with I'm no, I'm no good, I'm just, I'm a failure, I'm a mis I make mistakes. How do we win this war in our minds? Well, we're going to start with what God says about us, what God says about you. Uh, coming from Colossians chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, he gives us some, a glimpse into what God sees that's very different than what we see. Take a look at what he says. He says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died in this life, you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul says some three really profound things there that we have to grasp 
if we're really going to deal with this idea of I'm no good. The first thing Paul talks about is he says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Not the realities of earth. He didn't say set your sights on what you think is true. Don't sit and say set your sights on what you see. He said on the realities of heaven. Because here's the thing, we believe what we see. A phrase we, we use all the time, hey, no, no, no. It's true because I saw it with my own eyes. You don't have to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you like me have seen a magician do a trick and you were convinced that you saw something and it turned out to be completely different. I saw it with my own eyes, but what I saw wasn't reality. The truth is, is we can't trust what we see. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians explains why we can't trust what we see. He says this. He says, now we see things imperfectly. We see them imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. I love that phrase, puzzling reflections in a mirror. You see, Paul, when he wrote this in the first century, they didn't have glass mirrors like we have now. A mirror today will give you a pretty good reflection back of what reality or what we think reality is, but then a mirror was just a polished metal, and that metal would have imperfections in it, it, they couldn't get it perfectly flat, so it would be warped. And so what you would see in the mirror would be an imperfect, warped, kind of dark picture of who you are. Paul calls it puzzling reflections in a mirror. That's what we see now. He goes on to say that all I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. I love the key phrase there is all that I know now, it's partial and it's incomplete. See, what I think about me, what I think about my reality, it's shaped by my experiences. It's, it's, I'm, I'm almost 60, but it's still shaped by the things my parents said to me when I was a little kid, the, the things my parents did when I was a little kid. It still shapes my experiences, the things that happened in school, the things that happened in college, the things that have happened on my jobs have shaped how I see myself. It shapes how you see yourself. The challenges that we face as adults shapes and distorts what we see of ourselves. My relationships distort and change what I see. My relationship with my wife, with my kids, with my friends, with my coworkers, with my boss, all of those things impact what I see that I think is reality. My emotions affect what I see. When I'm going through stress, what I see of myself is different than when I'm relaxed and stress-free. Emotions have a huge impact on what I think reality is. And here's what Satan does. He takes all those distortions. He takes all those imperfections and misperceptions. He puts his own filter on that. And then he shows us a selfie and says, this is who you are. You're no good. You're no good. And it's not reality. Paul says... We have to set our minds on the reality of heaven, not the reality that Satan shows us and that we show ourselves. The second thing Paul says in that verse that we read, we need to set our, our, our sights on the reality of heaven. He says, you died to this life. You died to this life. What he's saying is, is when I become a Christ follower, when you become a Christ follower, we say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin, for my past. I want to follow you in my future. The Bible says is Jesus then takes our mistakes, our sins, our regrets, our guilt, and he, he nails it to the cross. That's why we have crosses in our auditorium, is to remind us that our past is nailed to that cross. And that th those sins are charged to the account of a dead person. Now, have any of you ever gone to a court and seen a corpse on trial? 
Have you ever heard of anyone digging up a body and bringing it to court and charging it with the crimes that that person committed while they're alive? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. When you die, those crimes are erased. We can't charge anybody with the mistakes you made and the crimes you made because you're dead. We would never take you to trial after you die. And yet, listen to me, gang, we do it every day. We do it every day. We take ourselves to trial. You know that dumb thing you did? You know where you broke that promise? You know where you made that mistake? You know where you said you'd never do that sin again and you did it? You're no good. You're just no good. What are we doing? We're putting a dead person on trial. Well, yeah, Jeff, before I became a Christ follower, but since then I've, I've made mistakes. I've had sin in my life. And you know what? Jesus charges those to the account of that dead person. He says, you died to, those life, to, to this life. So he says, set your sights on the reality of heaven. You died to this life. All that stuff, it's, it's the sins of a dead person. And then finally, the final piece of God's perspective, your real life is hidden. I love this. Your real life is hidden. What we see is distorted and imperfect. It's the mistakes and sins of a dead person. It's warped. It has a filter from Satan on it. And Paul says, yeah, but God has a different look because your real life is hidden. Only God sees who you really are. Only God knows who you really are. You can't see it. You can't squint harder, try harder. You can't read a self-help book that'll make you see the real you in your real life. Satan can't see it either. He doesn't know who you really are. What he says to you is a lie. Only God knows who you are. Only God knows your reality. What God says about you, listen to this. This is, this is so key. And for some of us, it's just review. But you know what? We know it, but we don't live it. I know that's a challenge for me. We know what we're talking about, but we don't live what we're talking about. Because what God says about you is the only thing that is real. What God says about you as a Christ follower is the only thing that's real. If you want to know what God says about you, this week, take Ephesians chapter 1, just Ephesians 1, and just read it every day. It takes about maybe 10 minutes to read the whole chapter. And just... Go in and underline or type or write in your notes everything God says about you and realize that's you. That's you he's talking about. We're just going to take one verse real quick just to kind of warm you up for this exercise of what God says about you in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 4. In verse 4 it says, Even before he made the world, even before you were born, even before you made a single mistake, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's who you are. In God's reality, which is the only reality, God loves you. He loves you. In spite of every mistake you made, in spite of every sin that you've committed, in spite of all the things that you feel shame and guilt and embarrassment about, God looks at you and goes, dude, hey, ma'am, lady, I love you. I love you. Not only does he love us according to this verse, we are chosen. We are chosen. He chose you to be on his team. He specifically said, you know what? I want you and you and you and you. I want you to be on my team in my family. Have you had that experience of being chosen? Like not really knowing why, but, but being chosen by somebody that you, you respect? I remember I was at a, 
a time in, in, in my life where I was kind of between what my ministries was supposed to be and kind of searching and, and knowing I was leaving one place but not knowing where I was going to next. And, and my phone rang and I looked at it and the name on there said Todd Wilson. Todd's a guy I, I really respect. He leads an organization called Exponential. And I, I said, Todd, hey man. And he said, Jeff, I hear you're stepping away from the ministry position you've been in. I said, yeah, I am. He said, what's next? He said, I'm, I'm still in discernment. Still trying to figure it out. He said, well, I don't know what, you're, what you think you're going to do, but I want you to come help me run Exponential. I'm like, well, hello? It was so cool. I had such respect for Todd and such respect for the organization. And for, for the next season in my life, I spent time working and learning from Todd and helping him run his organization. That, that's what it feels like to be chosen. Well, God is way above Todd Wilson. And God looks at you and goes, I don't know what you're doing next in your life. I don't know what this season this is, but, but I want you to come live in my family, live in my house, and be a part of what I'm doing. I choose you. We're loved. We're chosen. The next thing Paul says in that verse is we're holy. <laughs> I bet you have not in a long time said to somebody, you know, in a, in a job interview, kind of describe yourself. Well, I'm holy. That's just... I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I am holy. But you know you could absolutely do it because it's absolutely true. Because you, do, you, do you know what holy means? We always think it's this halo thing and we never make any mistakes. Holy means you're set apart for a special purpose. That God has loved you, chose you, and said, Ah, you, I need you to do this. Like, I've got this purpose for you. That's why we say every weekend at Front Range, we want to help you discover your purpose. Why? Because as a Christ follower, you're holy. You're set apart for God's purpose. Paul says you're loved. You're chosen. You're holy. And then this last one's mind-blowing. You're without fault. You're without fault. How could you be without fault? Like, don't raise a hand, but how many of you already made major mistakes this morning? Like, <laughs> How many of you, by the time you got to your chair in this auditorium, you were like, oh, this is not good? God looks at you sitting there right now. God looks at you sitting online or out in the courtyard, and he goes, I don't see any faults. I don't see any faults. How could that possibly be? Because God declares you perfect. Not because you are perfect, because he says you're perfect. And he's God. He gets to choose who's without fault. Here's, here's what I'd love for you to do, you, is to say those things to yourself. Get, just get those four words drilled down in. I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm without fault. I'm, I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm without fault. Why don't you say that with me? I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm without fault. And I know you just kind of getting it, so let's try it two more times. I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm without fault. One more time. I'm loved. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm without fault. This afternoon, when that I'm, you're no good tape starts playing in your mind, tomorrow, when you're like, oh, I can't do this. Tomorrow night, when you feel like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I'm loved. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm without fault. That's who I am. How do I know that's who I am? Because that's who God says I am. This isn't daily affirmations with Stuart Smalley. This isn't what you think about yourself. This is what God says about you. Why would God do that? Like, we all, I know how this works. I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm without fault, except I'm not. You know, I mean, why would God say that about me? 
Well, Paul answers that question in, in Ephesians 2.7. Why does God say that about us? So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ. He's proud of us. He wants to point to us in future ages and say, I had so, I'm so rich. I am so rich in grace. I am so rich in kindness that, that, that I was able to share with them. Look at them. They have grace. They, they have kindness because of my wealth. Any parent feels that way. Like if you have wealth and you have kids, you want to find a way to share that wealth with your kids. Like uh, the best illustration I have in my own life is a, as being a grandfather, being a grandfather. When I look at my grandkids, they're without fault. I mean, if you see fault in them, there's something wrong with you, right? They're, they're amazing. I, I'm going to tell you a story. You're not going to believe this. I went over the youngest ones, a little less than two years old. He'll be two at the end of October. I went over to his house yesterday morning to drop something off, and I went in. He was sitting in a high chair. He was feeding himself applesauce with a spoon. No, you're not kidding it. It was amazing. Like, like his grandpa, he calls me Papa. I got in there. I said, little dude, look at you. You can feed yourself with a spoon. That's awesome. Now he had applesauce all over the front of him. But he just grins at me and holds up his spoon like, I can use a spoon. And as a grandfather, I'm like, you can. Do you get it? Do you get it? God's looking at you. He's going, you're doing great. You can do it. You can do it. I love you. I chose you. I set you apart for a purpose. I don't see your faults. That's not what I'm looking at. I'm cheering for you. Why? So I have so much grace, God says. I have so much kindness. It just, it overflows. I want you to have some. That's what God sees. You're no good. You're no good. Well, no, no, no. I'm loved. I'm chosen. I'm holy. And I'm without fault in my heavenly Father's eyes. So we start with God's reality of who God sees we are. And don't worry, we're not going to go so long with the other, the other things. And then we have to reject the lies that Satan tells you. Accept what God says about you and then reject the lies that Satan tells you. I said earlier that Satan has a YouTube channel of all mistakes and sins you've ever done and he tries to play it in your head. We don't have to subscribe to that channel. Like we can turn that channel off. We learn to respond to Satan's lies. Satan's lie is you mess up all the time and your response is, yeah, I do. I mess up. But you know what? I'm loved. I'm loved. Satan says, you know what, if people knew who you were, they, they would reject you. In fact, they have rejected you. Look at all the rejection in your life, and you say to yourself, people reject me. I get it, but I'm chosen. I'm chosen. Satan says, you know what, you tried to change, and you failed. You tried to quit, and you're doing it again. You tried to do it, and you quit doing it. You try to change, and you fail, and you say, you know what, I do. I do. I fail, but guess what? I'm holy. I'm holy. Satan comes at you with his worst, biggest lie, which is you're just the sum of your mistakes. You're just the worst thing you've ever done. And we say, no, I'm not. I wish I'd never done that. But God sees me without fault. We reject the lies that Satan tells us. And then finally, we embrace the truth that God knows. We embrace, embrace the truth that God knows. Some simple truths today. 
simple truths. The first is you're made in the image of God. When God created you, he said, I want somebody like me. I want somebody who has grace and who has kindness. I want, I want somebody who knows how to love. I, I want somebody like me. And so he made you and he made me in his image. That's, I know we hear that as churchgoers and Christians and it just rolls off of us. Yeah, 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 got it. Made in the image of God. No, you're made in the image of the perfect, almighty God. That's you. Somewhere uh, in Ephesians, Paul says this, you are God's workmanship. I love another translation. It says, you're God's masterpiece. The ultimate sculptor wanted to make the ultimate, stat, the ultimate sculpture. So he made you in his image. You're made in the image of God. You are the adopted child of the king. No matter what happened in your family, no matter what's happened in your marriage, no matter what happens now in what goes on around you, you can step out. You are the adopted child of the king. The king is your dad. And then God has declared you good. He's declared you good. Your dad, who made you in his image, who adopted you into his family, looks at you when, you, when, when Satan says, you're no good. He says, no, they are. Yeah, they are. How could that be? Because I said they are. I declare them good. I'm going to finish with a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians who he was writing to. In Ephesians 1, 18, he says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for those who believe. That's my prayer for you today that your eyes will be open, that you will go, what I see with my physical eyes is not reality. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart so I can see myself as God sees me. I pray that in that you will know hope, that whatever has happened in the past, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever guilt you feel or shame, there's hope for the future, a new hope, a new future, that you will experience God's incomparably great power in your life. That's Paul's prayer today. That's my prayer for you. Now you have to know that in that verse, it ends with a clause. And this clause is the most important clause in all I've said today. Paul said, for those who believe. For those who believe. All the things I've talked about today are true. They are what God says. They are what God feels. It, 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 it is God's reality. But it's God's reality for those who follow Jesus. It's God's reality for those who say, you know what, I tried living my own deal. I tried walking my own path, but I, I, I didn't get where I need to go. And so, Jesus, I pray you'll forgive me for what I did in the past. And I don't know what it means to follow you exactly. I don't know what I have to believe or read or do. I don't know, but I do know I want to take one step toward you. And as we take that step, then those realities that we talked about today become real for us. Our old life that we used to be is put to death on the cross and we are a new creation, a new creature in Christ Jesus. Our slate is wiped clean and God says, ah, you are my child. We just have to accept his invitation into his family. And so we have a couple of sets of people watching online or here in the building in the courtyard. And part of us would say, you know what? I haven't lived perfectly for sure, but I am a Christ follower. I am, I am trying to follow Christ, but I, I get the image messed up in my mind. And then there's some of us who would say, I haven't followed Jesus 
Maybe I did a long time ago. Maybe I walked an aisle or said a prayer or filled out a card or maybe I never have. Today's your day. Today's your day to say, I, I, I want that old person crucified. I don't want to feel that guilt and that shame. I don't want to stay on that path. Today's your chance to take that step toward Jesus. And today's your day, if you are a Christ follower, to experience the freedom that he offers. Would you guys close your eyes with me, those here in the auditorium. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for everyone here, those online, those outside. I pray first of all for those who would say, you know what, I haven't been following Jesus. Maybe one time I prayed a prayer, maybe I've acted and talked like I'm a Christ follower, but the truth is, on a day-to-day basis, I just live my own way. Maybe you want to pray this prayer with me this morning. Jesus, I'm sorry I have not followed you. Sorry I've walked my own path and done what I wanted. Today is the day I ask you to forgive me. I want to take that first step or that next step back toward you. Maybe you want to pray that prayer in your own words right where you're sitting right now. Jesus, I want to follow you. Now I pray, Lord, for those who are here that would, you know, they'd say, I struggle with that that thought of I'm no good. I struggle with guilt and shame about my past. I struggle believing that God loves me completely. I I struggle in relationships because I don't feel loved. I don't feel chosen or holy or without fault or forgiven. Lord, I pray today that right now your Holy Spirit will do the work that only your Holy Spirit can do. And open the eyes of our heart so that we can see what you think about us. And then we can receive the love, the grace, the kindness that you offer. Lord, we pray that you'll pour that into our lives today. And we ask it in your name.